Welcome to Unstoppable Minds, a podcast out of the University of Florida, looking at the challenges and triumphs that come with a life in academia and research. I'm Dr. Kyla McMullen, an assistant professor of computer and information science and engineering at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And I'm Dr. Jeremy Waysom, now a lecturer in the engineering education department, also in the Herbert Wertheim College of Engineering. We know quite well that science, research, learning, it's all about trial and error. So we're sitting down with some of our colleagues here at UF who've stared down some pretty big challenges in the quest for knowledge. I recently gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, and it's been so interesting watching her develop all of the skills that she needs to be a functioning human. One of the things that is really surprising is how quickly she recognized who I was. Wow. It was almost like she was looking at me, like tracking me is what they call it, with her eyes. I'm really surprised that she can actually track you at such a young age. I thought that like recognizing and being able to see things and know what they are is like a pretty advanced skill. Yeah, apparently they can see about 12 inches from their face to whatever object is in front of them. But I didn't realize that, you know, not seeing that is a sign that your baby is struggling. I couldn't imagine, like, if you weren't able to see the things in front of you, how in the world would you try to restore that, like, in a human? Well, we have an associate professor of pediatrics here at the University of Florida who has made it her life's work to answer that exact question. My name is Dr. Shannon Boyd, and the focus of my research is gene therapy. It was UF's research program that attracted Shannon to UF. Yeah, UF is definitely a powerhouse in the area of gene therapy. Shannon's story also highlights how important it is to have really good mentorship, especially in research, because it also leads to better research teams. But the more you mentor and the more you train, you're able to increase your capacity. This is a large part of Shannon's story and the UF quality in general. So Shannon, right now you're working on research that you started when you were a grad student here at UF. What exactly are you working on? So typically within the first few months of life, moms or dads notice that their babies aren't tracking objects or looking at them, um, or maybe they have a roving eye movement, but that usually catalyzes mom or dad to bring their baby into the ophthalmologist. And then they often will receive the unfortunate news that their child carries an inherited genetic mutation that causes this blindness. So most of these kids present with either severe blindness from birth or they progressively lose their vision early on in childhood. So what we do is we develop gene therapies to correct that loss of vision. Wow, that seems incredibly impactful. So can you take us through what you mean by gene therapy? To understand gene therapy, we first need to go back to sort of high school level biology. Um, All of us are made up of DNA and there's subunits of our DNA called genes. Your genes are different from mine, mine are different from yours. It's what makes all of us individuals. But what genes do is something very important. They make proteins, and you can think of proteins like the building blocks of life. So there are proteins operating in the cells of our body at every second of the day to perform essential functions that allow us to survive and thrive. So genes make proteins, and proteins perform really important functions. So in our retina, 
the photoreceptors in our eye. We have a bunch of proteins that are acting together in order to convert a photon of light into a signal that can be sent to the brain and process there as vision. What happens sometimes is a patient will have a mutation in their genes. And as a result of that mutation, that gene can't make the protein it was supposed to make. And without that protein, that function goes away. It sounds complicated, but it's actually pretty simple when you boil it down. Gene therapy is essentially delivering a healthy copy of the gene to a patient's cell. That gene would go on to make the protein it's supposed to make and then restore function to the photoreceptor and ultimately restore vision. That's really interesting. Yeah. So how do we get these genes to the patient's cells? Therein lies the science. What you need in order to get a gene into a patient's cell is something called a vector. And you can think of a vector like a taxi cab and the gene as the passenger inside. And it's my job as a gene therapist to tell that taxi cab where to go and to drop off its passenger. Mm. So in my lab, we're sending that taxi cab to the photoreceptors. Okay, so Kyla, let's take a moment and run through Shannon's process. All right. The goal is to get a gene to a patient's cell through a vector, which Shannon equates to a taxi cab. The taxi cab carries the gene, or passenger, to the damaged area of the eye, and in this case, it's where vision loss has occurred. And the damaged areas are where photoreceptors are located in the eye. That's pretty cool. What's even more cool is that Shannon and her team are the ones who are directing the taxi cab to these photoreceptors. Oh, wow. So it's almost like she's creating GPS for these taxi cabs to get to the photoreceptors. Is that what you're saying? Either GPS or she's a cab driver. <laughs> <laughs> so taxi cabs or vectors come in a variety of shapes and sizes and flavors. Some drive faster, some can hold multiple passengers. But um, it's the work that was done in the 1980s here at the University of Florida that identified perhaps the best taxi cab to do this job. The name of that taxi cab is Adeno-Associated Virus, or AAV for short. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Shannon mentioned that the taxi cab itself is a virus, which usually has a negative connotation, especially right now. It's not something someone generally wants to inject into their body to do something good. But actually what we're doing is taking advantage of nature. We're harnessing nature because what a virus normally does is it infects our nose, it releases its genetic information and makes us sick, right? But what we can do is take that AAV virus and gut it of all of its native genetic information and replace it with the healthy gene that we're trying to deliver to that patient. So you all hack the virus, basically. That's yes, what that yes, sounds like. We, we hack the virus. So we replace its native genes with our gene of interest to hopefully make that patient be able to see. And then we deliver that virus or that AAV to the patient's photoreceptors. But before we get to the patients, we need to test these vectors or these taxi cabs in animal models that exhibit the same types of retinal problems that the patients do. So the animal model has to mimic the patient condition, essentially. And were you able to successfully do that? Yes. I've been fortunate because there are a lot of animal models that mm -hmm. actually mimic the patient phenotype. So we've been very fortunate in that regard. And now you're in the human clinical trial phase yes. of this research, which is huge. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Before we hear Shannon's very modest response to this, I want to hit pause and acknowledge how big of a deal it is to get your research into the clinical trial phase. If you're a researcher, you probably have a general understanding of this. 
Yeah. She's actually delivering treatment to humans that could potentially change their lives. It's huge. And the stakes are really high. And in fact, the National Institutes of Health caused this gap between getting results in the lab and actually providing treatment to patients, the valley of death. (laughs) I'm so glad we don't have that in our fields. Right. (laughs) Okay. So it's really one thing to experiment on animals, but it's an entirely different thing to experiment on human beings. And of course, anytime you're experimenting, especially with humans, it takes a ton of money. UF is so well known for their work in this kind of research, and that definitely helped to bolster Shannon's case in getting approved. Yeah, to have like one of the leading hospitals on our campus is amazing. That must be something that she can leverage when she writes these proposals. When you hit the valley of death, you really have to get out there, interact with pharmaceutical partners, Mm -hmm. um, introduce them to what you've been working on, and hope to attract an industry partner. That's where that capital comes from. So in March of 2014, my team was really fortunate to align with a company called Genzyme, which was focused on developing um, gene therapies for rare disease. And of course, I'm focused on rare disease. And we worked with them for about five years before we submitted what's called the investigational new drug application to the FDA to officially move this forward. So how many people on the planet right now have your gene therapy inside of them and they're just literally waiting to see if it's going to work? So we were super excited uh, last November when the first patient was treated um, and two patients have been treated subsequently, most recently uh, the early part of February. But what's important to understand about these gene therapies is, remember, you're delivering a gene to a patient's cell. It's going to take a little while for that taxi cab to drop off the passenger. So there's a very good chance that any therapy that we see may take nine months to show up because the brain needs to be able to accommodate the change that we've made in the eye. So that's why we're all kind of sitting around patiently waiting for a therapy to emerge and to show itself. So is it like an all or nothing, like, you know, the person just wakes up one day and they can see, or is it more of like a gradual transition? So it depends on the underlying biochemistry of the disease. There are other clinical trials in this area where the improvements were almost immediate in the sensitivity of the patient's retina. But again, there's a lot of science behind that, and it depends on exactly what biochemical step you're sort of intervening with. Mm -hmm. But in this case, in this disease, I do think it's going to be a more gradual improvement. And again, it's um, these patients are profoundly visually impaired when they're born. And so if you can imagine someone that's been blind from birth, their brain sort of doesn't know how to interpret that Mm -hmm. input from the eye. And so I think, I really do think, especially in this disease, that it's going to take the brain a little bit longer to understand that it's actually receiving signals from the eye. How nerve wracking is it for you to be waiting? Very. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. My mom calls me every day. Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. As moms do. Yes. (laughs) So beyond bringing sight to thousands of people, like your project must advance gene therapy in general, right? Yeah. So um, every time you address a specific disease, you're doing it with a specific set of tools. And those tools may be applicable to many other inherited retinal diseases. So um, put simply, we had to identify the best kind of taxicab to deliver genes to photoreceptors. And so that information will come in handy for any other researcher or clinician that wants to deliver a gene to another form of photoreceptor-mediated disease. Same thing for, mm-hmm. you know, the, the dosing of, of the vector. 
Um, so there's lots of generalized information that we glean, even though it's for this specific disease. We mentioned that the University of Florida is a powerhouse in research, but research takes people. <laughs> and uh, the people who are conducting that research have students that they're mentoring. And if our work is going to actually impact people's lives, then we need great mentors on our campus. Especially in research, because it's really hard to walk into research and just know exactly what to do on the first day. My style has always been sort of open, maternal, inviting. I share a lot of things with my students and my postdocs and my staff. I mean, they're all in the lab because they love translational research. They're motivated by doing science that actually might wind up in a person one day. So having a boss that has taken something from graduate school into the clinic, I think motivates them to try and do the same with their own projects. Shannon, I do research that's related to mentoring underrepresented students in engineering. And I was wondering what types of models that you might use to help support the students in your lab or the researchers in your lab. I don't know if any of the models are official. It's just sort of my personality, but I make sure I check in with them very routinely, not just on a professional basis, but also on just like a, hey, how was your weekend yeah. type basis? You know, I, I maintain a personal relationship with every single one of them. And I think that's been very helpful. Thank you so much, Shannon, for sharing your story with us and, and your research with us. No problem. So I think in Shannon's story, she is definitely demonstrating persistence in research. And she has an incredible problem that she is solving. She's literally restoring sight to the blind. And she could have given up in that valley of death. And she still has more work to do, <laughs> which, you know, when you spend a decade of your life working on solving a problem, you know you're truly committed to seeing the solution. Absolutely. It's also amazing how the students get to model that in their lab by supporting kind of different generations of students in the lab. So you've got undergraduate students and graduate students working together. And those graduate students are using the skills that they're picking up from Shannon to teach and educate these this next generation of scientists. This is Unstoppable Minds, a podcast out of the University of Florida. I'm Dr. Kyla McMullen. And I'm Dr. Jeremy Waysom. Thanks for joining us. Unstoppable Minds is produced by Endeavor Content and Katherine Welch. Managing producer, Samantha Allison. Creative development by 160 Over 90 with Benjamin Riskin. Engineering and post-production by Amita Ganatra and Adam Allison. Unstoppable Minds, owned by the University of Florida, is created with many thanks to the talents of Allison Clark, Emily Cardinali, Matthew Abramson, Brianne Leanne, Wise Clairvoyant, and Brian Sandusky. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more information about our show and the awesome professors at University of Florida by visiting our website at ufl.edu slash unstoppable minds. Until next time, go Gators! <laughs> <laughs>